You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. Welcome back to another episode of The Food Code. We are uh, live today with another interview, which we're really excited about. So this is Mr. Sam Miller Science. Um, he has a podcast, Sam Miller Science, <laughs> um, that you should definitely check out because, I mean, your knowledge is amazing and I love your ability to kind of, you know, speak in terms, layman terms that people can understand and make it applicable to their lifestyle. Um, I was just listening through one of your free courses that you put out and I'm going to link it in the show notes. I think it's amazing. Um, all about the metabolism. It's just a five day mini series. So if you don't mind, we'll share that with our listeners. Um, I forgot to tell you that before the show, so that's okay. <laughs> no, that's fine. I love that. So yeah, that should be, that's still on my website, SamilarScience.com. The easy thing about what I've tried to do is that everything's just Samuel Science now. So it makes it a little bit easier to track things down. Um, that's just a free week of metabolism school. While if you're kind of like intermediate in your fitness journey, it should make sense. Uh, a lot of the content is also geared to support coaches uh, who maybe want to be able to articulate some of the aspects of metabolism for their clients, but it's a good, it's a good overview and it's broken down into shorter videos. So no matter where you're at, you can um, you can sort of benefit from it. So I'm glad you found the resource and, you know, definitely the point of the resource is to share the resource. So I'm glad yeah. you mentioned it. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, Sam, go ahead and give us a little bit of um, background about you, your story, uh, where you're at and kind of like why you do what you do. Sure. Um, so currently, um, you know, I'm health and fitness coach along with a mentor for, uh, probably over a hundred different fitness professionals, uh, different healthcare professionals. And, uh, coaches who are really trying to articulate these concepts around metabolism, hormones, and nutrition science that maybe isn't something you initially learn in your initial certification. So um, for those of you listening who maybe haven't been certified as a coach, but you have a coach and you're wondering, well, what does that learning process look like? A lot of times it's kind of understanding sets and reps or calories and macros and this surface level stuff. And sometimes concepts like metabolism seem overwhelming because there's moving pieces uh, you know, our brain connects with the rest of our body and sort of tells it what to do. So I try to help coaches understand that and then sort of have a ripple effect to their clients. Uh, been in the fitness and nutrition industry for over a decade. I think it's like 13 or 14 years now. I'm kind of scared to count because it means I'm old. Um, so I initially started on my health and fitness journey like most younger guys do. It's kind of a combination of athletic performance and uh, also just wanting to look better and, and be stronger and, and be more fit. Uh, but very early on in that journey, I actually had some health complications that resulted in me feeling really frustrated around the basic information that was presented in the health and fitness industry. So when I was in my late teens, had a traumatic brain injury or concussion, which because you're pituitary, which we can talk about as we get further into this podcast, but because um, that gland plays such an important role with hormone regulation, it'll influence your ability to sort of maintain homeostasis or like your status quo in your body when it comes to your metabolism and other elements of your health. So, or other aspects of your health, I should say. So once that happened, it kind of sent me down this rabbit hole because I couldn't really find folks who could 
articulate or teach or explain these concepts to me. I, I joke around sometimes that I think I spent like more time in an endocrinologist's office as a teenager than I did like going to actual parties or doing what like teenagers and young, young guys are supposed to be doing. Um, started to get a handle on it by the time I got to college. Uh, but by that point, I had already been certified and working, you know, personal training and nutrition coaching were kind of my side hustle at that point. And what I started to notice were regardless of whether someone had like a traumatic injury or not, there were a lot of folks that had these is underlying issues with their metabolisms, with hormones, um, and maybe going the conventional route wouldn't necessarily help them. So I started to learn that a lot of the mainstream information, and this was even as Instagram was kind of gaining steam, but before that there were fitness blogs, forums, um, you know, you'd get a lot of your information from magazines and things you'd grab like books at Barnes and Noble and whatever the latest fad diet was. And so at that time, I felt that a lot of the fitness and nutrition information was either um, good information that was misapplied. So that was like, if you're lucky, you got some good info, but it just wasn't applied to you or worse. It was bad information and it wasn't applied to you or you applied it to yourself, which then made it worse because it was bad information. Mm -hmm. So what kind of compounded my situation was taking a, you know, very significant kind of just physical trauma that'll happen to our body, which is a stress. And a lot of people don't really acknowledge that, but we have different forms of stressors on our body and basically your metabolism's jobs to regulate that stress and regulate that energy balance from food and what we do with physical activity. And so for me, I sort of compounded my own health issues by initially not having an understanding of the role of exercise that exercise is a stressor. And then also understanding that food is a way to sort of heal and repair and recover and grow. And it wasn't until I fully understood that dynamic and I was able to recover and optimize sleep and my entire lifestyle that things started to move in the right direction for me because I wasn't someone who necessarily wanted to be on like prescription medication for the rest of my life. And so health, fitness and nutrition for me really helped me uh, control my own health circumstances, get a handle on my life. But then it sort of started to have a ripple effect with my clients as well. And that's kind of the foundations or roots of when I really started to dig in and learn about um, fitness, nutrition, metabolism, and hormones. That's insane. I did not know that concussion story. How did you get a concussion? Snowboarding. So I fell Gosh. backwards down, like I caught an edge and it was kind of icy, even with a helmet on and hit my head while snowboarding. I was in Vermont. I was actually with one of my best friends who I've known since like toddler day camp. And uh, after hitting my head, so of course it was the one like run down the mountain that he took a break to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and it was like the worst possible time because of course I ended up by myself. Um, I'm not sure how long I was sort of out of it, but no one was nearby to really help. So I actually ended up getting up and doing like a half-assed effort of like trying to get down uh -huh. the hill. And once he saw me, he was like, you need to, like, we need to go to the little medical tent that they had set up and then put me on one of those little like, uh, board, cause they always check for like, uh, neck and back and head injuries and then they want to make sure that you're not like having a brain bleed or anything like that just kind of basic by the way concussion protocols have changed a ton in the last like 15 years so it's not like we don't we didn't have nearly the thanks to the nfl and and other um sports we've learned a lot about head injuries since that time but you know i do nothing about it even though i was you know an athlete at that age um but knew nothing about it walked down to the bottom of the mountain we actually joked around about this on the Barbell Shrug podcast, but like, it's like someone pushed a code red button because I was just, re I was repeating like my name, my address, my phone number, like my parents' information. It was like 
those little ID cards that you would have if you were a kid and you got yeah. lost and you're like at the grocery store, please help me. And I basically went into that mode of just like rattling off that information because I, I don't know, I guess I wasn't really present enough, but my parents apparently taught me pretty well. And uh, I think at that moment, my friend knew something was wrong. And I made the joke like last week that it's probably really good. I didn't know my own social security number because I probably would have rattled that off too. And it would be like applying for credit cards in my name. So that's, uh, that's kind of the story of the day when it actually happened. But I didn't actually know there was a problem until down the road, a, um, actually a more of a functional health chiropractor sort of noticed just like my symptoms with different immune issues and fatigue. And he was like, have you gotten any blood work done like since all this happened? And so we ended up getting labs later, like probably a year later, ended up getting an MRI. Still had some swelling going on in that pituitary gland. So wow. that's kind of the origin story of all this. A lot of people don't really realize that that's one of the reasons I got into it. But I think it was still a combination of misinformed nutrition and fit. like I was still training way more than I should have been, especially with that injury. And then also my eating was like what you would have done if you picked up men's health and you wanted, if you had a beer belly and you wanted to lose like 20 pounds from your gut, um, that's what I was following, but I was super active and I was super young and I should have been building my metabolism by eating more, not necessarily uh, just following that advice designed for like a 45 year old guy. So there was a, there were definitely a combination of factors that sort of exacerbated the situation, but I thought I was being healthy and I thought I was doing what was best for me, but ended up, you know, sending kind of setting me back for a few years in terms of my fitness goals. It wasn't till I learned how to really optimize things in terms of training and nutrition and hired some really good coaches and had some good mentors that really provided education for me around okay, this is what good training looks like. This is good nutrition and, you know, kind of was able to branch out from there and also sought out a lot of different certifications after that initial event and doing my own personal training because I was noticing a lot of other people were uh, experiencing different ruts or had different issues or different problems. And before I knew it, like five years into nutrition coaching, I was like, everyone I'm coaching needs a reverse diet, not an actual calorie deficit. Like what's going on? And I think it's because, especially for the folks who shop online, have Instagram, are maybe middle-class Americans to upper middle-class or above, um, who have access to technology, chronic dieting is like a part of the lifestyle. And it's just based on the information that's available, almost like too much information. And uh, so I noticed just that that was a pattern. So getting really good at identifying those issues, and it was really the only way that I could solve problems for my clients and help them understand like this is how we you know need to proceed in order for you to feel better yeah and that's i mean that's what liz and i created metabolic rehab for because so many of the clients that were coming to us that wanted to lose weight obviously were like we can't go down that road right now um your body is not prepared to diet it is in a state of stress you've been in a chronic deficit whether it's from octavia or these 1100 calorie or less diets that you've been following for months um you need to eat more because your metabolism just cannot tolerate it um so what i'd love for you to touch on is kind of you know what happens to the metabolism and in another sense like people understanding that the metabolism is more than just how many calories you burn um right. it controls <laughs> like the entire body. Um, right. And so can you explain to people a little bit like what the metabolism is and what it affects within the body at obviously our 10,000 foot level um, and then why it impacts the body in such a negative way after such a long period of a calorie deficit? 
Sure. Um, so the phenomenon that you described is known in when they do research on it in science, it's called adaptive thermogenesis. But for the average person, what it really means is your metabolism is compensating. It basically adapts or make cha makes changes to enhance your survival. And this is rooted in basically a human principle called adaptive physiology, which is the idea that our body will make changes um, basically to preserve our well-being or ensure that we can reproduce. And I always list this as kind of the five Fs. So it's fight or flight, feast or famine, and fertility. And so you'll notice that when you're under a high amount of stress, um, when nutrition or food quality is poor or you're not eating enough, food quality and food quantity are you know, huge portion of healthy female cycles. So that's how metabolism relates to reproductive hormones. Same thing for guys on the other side, um, even without the cycle going on. And then that fight or flight response, that's our stress hormone response. So understanding that, you know, the amount that we eat, the amount that we exercise influences those as well. And then that feast or famine. So understanding that we do have changes that will happen in terms of leptin and thyroid hormone, um, you know, our overall levels in terms of energy and the food that we desire, but also kind of what's going on, uh, as you mentioned, metabolically, uh, looking at this holistically. So that concept, adaptive thermogenesis or metabolic compensation, is really just what happens when we're chronically dieting and we don't allow our body to have any type of break. And so I usually say there are a number of factors that play into this, but you know, if you're a chronic dieter, it's creating this metabolic efficiency of sorts, but it's also this identity that you have in that you're priming your metabolism over and over and over and over again. You're saying this is how much food is available and the amount of stress that's being imposed on your body as well. And at the end of the day, if it helps you understand metabolism, it's happening really in three places. Most people think of metabolism as like, this is the food I digest and eat and gives me energy. And they just think of calorie balance, but really it's a relationship between your brain, your body's different glands and organs, as well as your cells. Um, so we need healthy mitochondria to have good hormones and good metabolism, which is largely due to our lifestyle and our nutrition and exercise. And we also need to have a good relationship between the brain and those glands and the cells. Um, for example, like thyroid hormones, a great example. So when you are putting too much stress and not enough energy, that'll cause down regulations in something like thyroid hormone, or it will cause an upregulation in something like our adrenal hormones, HPA, because that means our body perceives stress. So usually what happens is when our body perceives stress and there's a lack of energy, the most common adaptation that we see is down regulation in like the thyroid axis, that communication, that line of communication becomes adjusted. And then we see an upregulation in HPA, which is mainly your adrenals. And we usually see some, slowly there'll be some downregulation in terms of what's going on with reproductive hormones. So for women, that's usually progesterone levels and like the back half of your cycle will change first. Um, and then for guys, that's where you see things like under recovering or a lot of training, not eating enough, influencing testosterone levels. Or if you're obese, that will also influence testosterone levels as well. So really, I define all of these things based on a few different facets, which is like the depth of the previous calorie deficit you've experienced, the length of that deficit. So what I mean by depth is how low did you go with your calories? What I mean by length is how long did you stay at that low calorie period? And then the third consideration is how frequently did you go into a calorie deficit for that period? So if the answer is you were just in a perpetual attempted deficit for two years, that's different than someone who maybe tried to diet for two weeks, fell off, tried to diet for four weeks, fell off. Those are two different people metabolically. 
Um, but from a higher level, you know, just pointing out that it is the communication between the brain and the rest of the body. That's one of the reasons why I experienced some issues is because when you have a head injury, TBIs and pituitary issues, a pituitary gland in your hypothalamus are sort of like the captain of your team, if you will. So when that is compromised, that's what's speaking to the rest of the system. And our body sort of has this feedback loop to talk to itself uh, in order to regulate what's going on. So um, those would be the primary considerations I'd say for someone who's been dieting, what's happening to the metabolism and sort of how I would define that, label that term and the primary considerations, which are stress and energy impacting everything from metabolism to fertility. Yeah. So I know that you use kind of the shreds model, um, which we yeah. love. Um, and we, we use all of those things. We definitely didn't come up with a sweet name. Um, yeah. Kudos but... <laughs> to you. I've already been sharing your podcast. Cause like I have it in all of my check-in forms, like already. Um, but when I was listening to your podcast a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, I love, I love acronyms. Right. And yeah. I think it for clients, it easy. makes it um, very easy to remember. And so, yeah, I've, I've linked that out a couple of times. I'm like, see, I'm not the only person that is, you know, telling you that all of these things are important. <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of clients are always wondering like, well, how do I know that, um, I should stop dieting? Like how, like what, what, what signs should I listen to? What symptoms should I notice, um, or be, you know, aware of to know that I need to stop dieting. And then if I do need to stop dieting, how do I fix it? Cause I think this is, I think something that there's, you know, a lot of mixed information around is like, is it, you have to increase calories. Can you reduce stress in other ways without having an increased calories? So like, you know, getting 10, I mean, I don't think many people have this ability, but like getting 10 hours of sleep a night can definitely impact stress in a positive way very quickly. Um, you know, other stress reducing techniques. So like what symptoms should people watch out for to show them that they have been in a calorie deficit for too long? And then what do you usually recommend to people in terms of the reverse dieting approach? Yeah, that's a great question. So shreds, just to clarify for the audience, is basically your sleep, your hunger, um, your recovery, energy, digestion, and stress. And so I like to track all of those with my clients. I encourage mentor clients, and anytime I'm on a podcast, I encourage people to do the same. Typically, we're looking at shreds because we want to understand what happens. So as you diet for a long period of time, we can see changes in sleep. We can see changes in energy levels. Sometimes digestion will go one way or the other, either maybe going too frequently from higher stress or not going enough and you know having some symptoms of constipation, things like that. Um, you can sort of pull tension off of the metabolism. And I use sort of a drains and charges model because everyone understands like at the end of the day, if I use my iPhone all day long and it's drained, I'm going to need to charge it before I go into the next day. And so humans aren't that different. I mean, we are different in that we have a lot of moving pieces going on, but we need to charge our system with parasympathetic inputs. So that could be anything from gentle yoga, sleeping, nutrition is a parasympathetic input. A lot of people forget that really the only anabolic or building activities for humans are eating food and sleeping. And so really everything else is sort of indirectly or directly a catabolic or sort of breaking down activity. So when you put it in perspective that way, if you were to make a list on a piece of paper of all the things you do that break your body down, the work stress, the um, training that you do, the you know various intense cardio methods or modalities, when you add those, all those things up, it certainly begins to influence what's going on with your transformation as a whole. So I'm looking at shreds and you know, do we have energy levels? Are we doing well, like from an immunity perspective? How's digestion? We should be recovering from the gym. You shouldn't be sore for days and days and days and days. Um, or, you know, potentially if you are recovering super well, maybe that's a sign that we can adjust your training program. 
And most of the time when people are looking at biofeedback, they're really only adjusting like five um, toggles, as I would call them. So that's like your calorie allotment, macronutrients, the timing of when you're eating. Uh, some people go about like food group elimination. So maybe you're dieting, you're doing like veganism or gluten-free or paleo, and then they modulate exercise activity. But really there are about 10 things we can pay attention to. Um, and so that's sleep, non-exercise activity like walking, stress management, calorie allotment, macronutrients, micronutrients. Um, we can still play around with that eating timing in terms of stress and everything that's going on there. Um, we can look at food food quality or food groups if you're having sort of a stress, your body's having a stress reaction to something, exercise activity, and then relationships and community. And I also have kind of a bonus of time outside. So if you look at that list of 10 things, let's say you were in a place where you had a lot of stress on your body and maybe you're perceiving that you're not in calorie deficit, well, you could still get recomp or positive body changes moving in the right direction by getting outside a little bit, having, you know, controlling your exercise activity. Maybe if you're not active enough or you're too active, bringing that into a place where your body is just perceiving less stress or tension. So remember, race back to kind of the jumping off point of this conversation was metabolism's job is to look at stress and energy and that's like energy in and energy out so what future energy demands that we have and then it's also looking at um, total stress and that's not just like stress from training but it's also you know if sally and hr sends you like an aggressive email and you're stressed out when you're sitting there and one of the main problems for humans is that stress has been decoupled from movement so back in the day if we were stressed out about something had a fight or flight response we were probably going to move or do something, it's basically an alertness response. And so people think of stress hormones as a super negative thing, when it's really not. It's your body's adaptation, it's its design to have an alert or awakening response. So in the morning, we want that response. And um, you know, in a threat moment where we're threatened, we want that response because it'll make you more alert. That's why you know, if you ever feel a little anxious going into a test, your body's actually giving you more energy to be alert versus like being super sleepy. So that's kind of the way I would zoom out is think of, okay, we have these stress demands and energy allocations. And the balance of that is really where I end up like as a human living my life with my metabolism. So try to pay attention to that, use those toggles and um, that model can be helpful as well. Yeah. So I'd like to ask about kind of the level of increase in calories. Cause I've seen a couple, you know, like extreme examples of people that work to fix maybe insatiable hunger or trying to fix, you know, negative biofeedback with the body, like constipation, cold feet, cold hands, um, headaches, not sleeping well, not being able to lose weight, even in a calorie deficit and needing to reverse diet and seeing people go to 3000, 4,000 calories a day. Um, what are your thoughts on like the stress that that can put on the gut temporarily um, and like the adaptation needed? Um, do you feel the extremes are needed? Um, I mean, obviously it's a situation by situation basis, but what are your thoughts on that? So I actually just record, it's going to, I don't know when this podcast episode will release, but prior to recording this with you guys, I just recorded an episode on knowing when to take breaks in reverse diets and periodizing reverse diets because a lot of people will reverse diet, but they do it in a very linear fashion. It's like, I'm just going to add calories every single week. And I like to incorporate either diet breaks or little intuitive days here and there for clients. Because sometimes like I have, I've had small female clients where you're getting to a point with food where even though they're not like negatively gaining body weight, it's a point where their stomach's not used to the food volume. They're not able to digest it very well. 
and honestly pushing food or developing bad eating habits of like power shoveling your meal just to now I'll educate on food volume. You know, I'll say, Hey, looks like you're trying to get all your carbs from broccoli. Why don't we eat some white rice or something, right? Like that's going to make digestion a little yeah. bit easier. And it's a very hypoallergenic food, uh, gluten-free, et cetera. It's very easy to digest. So we can make little swaps like that. But if I notice the issue is still going on, even with very easy to digest foods, I will definitely put a pause on the reverse diet. And I've, uh, I mentioned that in the episode that I just sort of went into, but yeah, I think some people start out the gate and add a bunch of calories. I think it depends how bad your biofeedback is to begin with. Also your mind, your overall mindset and where you're sitting in terms of your ability to add food. For some people, it's really intimidating to add like three or 400 calories. So I would rather get compliance at 150 to 200 calories and know that they're doing it versus adding 400 and scaring, you know, scaring the crap out of that client. And then they're not actually adhering to the reverse diet because it seems like too much. There are other people who are going to start to be overzealous because I'm giving them more food and they're just going to want to train more. So for those people, I might have to overshoot the calorie amount to compensate for the activity that they're doing. But, you know, there's a lot of different ways to go about a reverse diet, whether you want to add weekly calories or biweekly. I, I typically do weekly in smaller chunks. And, um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the client, their personality and, um, the type of activity that they're doing and how bad the previous situation was. So I've had situations where I'm trying to like heal what's going on with the gut and they've got like adrenal and thyroid stuff. And then we're also trying to add food because they're eating too little. But when we add more food, it's not being absorbed well because there's gut issues. So sometimes there's more to the story and you have to really think like, okay, what's actually just the most nourishing thing for the body? Like I listed 10 things there, right? So maybe it's micronutrients. We need to prioritize that and just make the body feel like it's actually getting something uh, substantial or of value that maybe we weren't getting before. Maybe we need to lower, you know, lowering exercise activity in a way can contribute to what you're doing with a reverse diet, even if you're not always adding calories all the time. So I always remind people like you're going to have periods of time where maybe you're tapering the exercise activity and adding food, or maybe you're only adding food or maybe you're only tapering activity, but you're still ending up with a net change in energy balance moving towards what a reverse diet should be doing, which should be alleviating stress on the system, getting your brain to see that that's happening, and then basically signaling your thyroid to upregulate and then create basically um, when you have more metabolically active T3, you're going to burn through that food a little bit more. And then with um, reverse dieting, because we're eating more food, our thermic effect of food goes up automatically. And usually we also start to walk and subconscious energy expenditure goes up. So when we look at energy expenditure as a whole, um, when coaches kind of calculate this, there's an equation, but a lot of people forget that with reverse dieting, the upregulations that we can see between non-exercise activity and what happens with actual digestion of just eating more food and then getting a little bit of a bump in thyroid hormone, that's how people hyper-respond to reverse diets at times. So in that case, in a hyper-responder, I'm gonna add more calories and sort of feed what's going on here, like the positive adaptation that we're seeing and give the body reason to continue doing what it's doing so it doesn't necessarily stall out. Um, whereas someone else who maybe doesn't have that re response, maybe I've gotta pull from other areas or I've gotta manipulate other variables. 
Yeah, and I, it's so interesting what you're talking about with thyroid. Obviously, we understand as coaches from our research and education that we've done. But so for me personally, um, when I was about 22, 23, I was seeing a functional doctor and he basically was saying, you know, you're on the verge of having Hashimoto's. Um, things had downregulated so much. Uh, and I truly believe it was because of the stress that I was putting on my body, trying to chronically diet. So this was a few years after I had done Weight Watchers. I severely under ate. I was training two, three hours at the gym in college because, you know, when you're a student, you have time to go to the gym twice a day, sometimes three times a day. Um, and so, you know, for me, just throughout my personal journey, but also now working with women specifically. I would be interested to hear your thoughts because I personally believe that a lot of these chronic diets that are out there and kind of this um, overabundance of information and misleading information to, you know, eat less, we're going to weigh less um, or eat less and move more approach to dieting, which yes, it does create a calorie deficit, but sometimes like too far where now we've seen the system, you know, adapt and downregulate. And so I would just be interested to hear from you. Do you believe that most of the thyroid issues that are out there, maybe undiagnosed, are correlated to people trying to chronically diet and you know going in severe calorie deficits for long amounts of time? Yeah, it could be. There's kind of this gray area of like subclinical hypothyroidism, which basically, first of all, our Western medical system here in the United States is based off a relatively unhealthy population. So the range isn't that awesome to begin with. But then we do have a lot of people chronic dieting. There's higher levels of stress. And also some folks like to exercise a lot. I've had women when I was, you know, even back when I was coaching more, doing like 21 workouts a week. And at some point that's going to show up in terms of reproductive health and also your thyroid, um, as well as what's going on with your adrenals. So I'm... um, you know, definitely of the mindset that a lot of the thyroid issues aren't just like the gland itself. It's not that genetically 90% of these people have something wrong with their thyroid. It's a lifestyle factor. Um, at least in a lot of the cases I've experienced, there may be other practitioners or doctors or coaches who experience folks who maybe have a true um, inherited thyroid gland issue or maybe thyroidectomy or thyroid cancer. That's certainly a possibility. And, you know, I would certainly hope that that's not the case for for many folks. But I do see a lot of individuals where it's primarily driven by excessive amounts of exercise activity or inadequate nutrition over a long period of time. And I think it's primarily, as you mentioned, because there's a lot of information about diets on the internet, but there's not a lot of information about what to do after you diet or forget reverse diets, but even the idea of, okay, we're going to maintain for a period of time or that there's seasons to everything. Like, I guess we were all just under the impression that you go on a diet and then you just, that's the diet you follow forever. Like I've gotten the results I want and now I'm just, I just got to adhere to this every single day. And like, I'm probably stubborn enough where I could do that, where that would create a problem. And then it's like, if you don't give and take a break and reverse diet or go to maintenance, like your body will give and take a break or it'll just fight back against you in its own adaptive way. So I think a lot of times people forget that as like, if you don't sort of insert recovery into your routine, your body's going to find a way to um, lessen energy expenditure or increase food. So it'll either do things where now you have like binge eating tendencies or it will, um, 
become this miser of energy. It'll become very frugal with its willingness to expend even basic activities. You become very metabolically efficient. So I use the example of like, if you're going to drive to your grandma's house, the idea of having a Prius and getting a lot of miles per gallon is actually really good. But when it comes to your diet, you'd actually much rather be like a Suburban or like a Hummer from back in the day and get like 12 miles to the gallon because it means you get to eat more calories. Mm -hmm. And so we've become so metabolically efficient that even doing basic tasks, our body's more restrictive in terms of the energy it's willing to, our body basically stops wasting energy in any capacity. And when you're reverse dieting, when you actually get to maintenance or even above, what you'll notice is your body becomes more willing to waste energy, expend energy on basic tasks, not just when you go to the gym. And so what I notice is in a lot of these chronic dieters, they overvalue exercise activity and what's going on for 45 minutes to an hour or 30 minutes, and then undervalue the other 23 hours of the day and understanding that your body's basically going to downregulate what it's burning the rest of the time uh, when you're on that low calorie allotment. And I've certainly been there before myself, and it's kind of sometimes hard when if you're not naturally someone who's super hungry all the time, but uh, certainly plays a large role in what I've seen in transformations and those thyroid or metabolic issues. Yeah, I've seen that actually a lot too. Um, I work with a number of like Ironman athletes um, and, you know, long distance runners. And I'm like, your body, you know, the type of exercise you're doing makes you so metabolically efficient. Um, yeah. and, and that on top of under eating is just like this perfect storm, um, for the metabolism. But so for people that do go through these reverse diets and maybe are doing them on their own or trying to increase calories to, you know, give the body, bring it back to health essentially, and bring kind of heal the things that have gone south with the metabolism, um, in relation to that, what kind of signs do you think people can look for to say, if they still do want to change body composition or lose weight? Um, what are kind of signs that their body might be ready for that now? Um, your sleep quality is good. You're sleeping well through the night. Um, you're able to manage, you know, your appetite. Like you're not uh, in a place of uncontrollable appetite. So our goal with, you know, when you do move into a deficit phase, and I, I think I do have an acronym for this as well. So I'm going to try to like scroll down and grab it for you. But, um, you know, basically our goal is to mitigate adaptation. We want to manage appetite and maximize adherence. And so the whole thing is like a lot of times we're, we think we're ready to be done reverse dieting. But we're not ready to adhere to a diet. And that doesn't mean that it's time to move into a diet. It means maybe a maintenance phase is in order and having that season of your life. So um, we always want, you know, moving into a diet, we want to make sure we can account for present and future fuel or like energy requirements, and then present and future fullness, which is satiety. So you have to have the right combination moving in. Like if in your reverse diet, you haven't gotten to a point where you're having adequate energy and you have satiety from your meals and you actually feel full. Well, now when you're moving into a diet phase, like you solely have to rely on ridiculous food volume and low calories. Like, you know, that's where, you know, I use the example of young ladies eating lots of vegetables earlier. And that's sometimes where you see that. And then it's like, okay, well, you shouldn't have to have your fiber at like 80 grams a day in order to have fullness between meals. So that's a big problem that I see. So I would say if you're able to adhere um, to, you know, the diet plan, you're able to manage your appetite, and then we can mitigate adaptation using things like nutritional periodization, doing some refeeds, doing some higher calorie cycling here and there, or an interval approach or matador type diet are all possibilities depending on the person and their metabolic history, but sleep is going to be huge managing appetite. And then you should be in a place in the gym where you're feeling very strong and well recovered, well rested, 
Um, those are kind of the permission slip that I would look for before moving into a diet phase. But also, you, you got to be in a good spot like digestion wise and gut health wise as well. Because even though theoretically you're lowering calories, you're increasing stress and lowering like your, your bandwidth of resources that you can use to basically heal the body. So that's kind of how I would frame it of, hey, I've, I've been reverse dieting. Do I go into a maintenance phase or do I go back into a deficit or do I keep pushing my calories higher? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think so many people don't understand that we should spend more time actually at maintenance than we should in a deficit, especially women, right? Um, because if they haven't achieved this goal weight that they have maybe on the scale or they haven't gotten to the size that they want, you know, their intuition is to just continue dieting. Um, but as they do that, what we typically see is obviously their body is just continued to be stressed and then their sleep suffers their sex drive drops, you know, obviously their recovery is poor. And so kind of our process of creating metabolic rehab is really to bring people back into a place where they can restore homeostasis. But we're also very clear with most of them that you might not need just eight weeks. This may need, you know, a further continuation of sitting at maintenance to really restore and bring your metabolism back to where it should be, right? So most of the time, and I'm sure you see this too with males and females, um, but you know, where people are coming and they're eating 13, 1400 calories. And then when, when, when we run their, what should be total daily expenditure, because obviously we know that uh, their need should be increasing as they eat more food and the ex calories expended should also go up. What's expected to be burning is like 23, 2400 calories. But right now they've adapted so far down that it's not going to be fixed, you know, overnight. So I'd love just kind of your thoughts there. If you saw someone who was really in a calorie deficit, um, and I'll just paint the picture here where they're fatigued, um, maybe they're having some digestive issues such as constipation. They feel really cold all of the time. Um, they're not recovering or seeing strength improvements in the gym. I know that's something that's really common we see with women. And, you know, I asked them about their thyroid. I asked them about hormones and things. Um, they may not have access to those lab work. So then we look and see, you know, all of the other signs. What would you say? Because I know there's a lot of different um, thought processes around this. I usually say it's anywhere between like, can be four to six months, sometimes longer. What have you typically seen uh, for people who are really metabolically adapted? Like time expectations? Yeah. And well, obviously we uh, know it's case by case, but I'm just curious, you know, because it sounds like you've worked. Yeah, it's super, I, I'd say it's so varied. And, and also you have to remember I'm at a stage now where I'm either getting very, very, different complex cases than kind of the norm, uh, which I'd be hesitant to like throw out a number and then have people yeah. like, oh my God, I can't reverse diet that long. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, I would say like a lot of times for clients, if they take the number in their head and then probably like multiply it times 1.5 to two, it's probably closer to what they should be doing. But that's just, I mean, there's no rule of thumb or anything set in stone. It's just like when people throw out like percentages of nutrients and stuff, it's still very dependent on the individual. But if someone is having, you know, this thyroid issues, what there's a couple of different things you can do. One is if they are doing something like CrossFit or super high intensity exercise, first look to modulate the exercise while adding some food. It doesn't mean that that type of training is bad. It just means that while you were doing that, you were under eating. And ideally, if we're going to move back to that activity in the future, we need to be eating more. Um, in terms of kind of the scenario you mentioned, I think you can start to get some relief in terms of 
thyroid reproductive hormones. These are transient changes that happen as a part of dieting. Even if you're a super healthy individual and you diet correctly, just because I don't want anyone to feel like we're fear mongering, like even if you diet correctly and try to keep your calories high at some level, your body will adapt. That's totally normal, but you can easily, it's just when you finish the diet, how easy is it for you to bounce back to normal? The more that you do to mitigate any type of compensation on the way down, you know, the better off you're going to be going into that next phase. So I would say the length of the reverse is dependent on those three factors I mentioned earlier, which is how low did they go with their calories? So if it was 1400 versus, okay, um, Susie's at 1200 and Deb's at 900 calories. Like those are totally different. Same thing with someone at that calorie amount, but they're basically burning protein to create blood sugar because they're eating 200 grams of protein a day, but they weigh 120 pounds. So those scenarios would all be super different, but I've worked with all of those. Um, and I think, you know, depending on the length of the deficit, the depth of the deficit and how frequently have they been chronic dieting in the past. I mean, I've had individuals who, because they started at such a young age, even like middle school or high school, which is really sad to say, but they're going to be so much healthier in the long run, taking a little bit of extra time to reverse. Now, as I mentioned, I did record podcasts on this. I think it's important to take reverse diet breaks, both psychologically, and it doesn't mean it has to be a linear reverse. There might be points in your reverse where you're doing two weeks on and one week off, or you're reaching more of this interval place where now we're not just trying to add calories, but we're trying to you know, we're trying to minimize any negative changes to body composition and having that week in between also can be really psychologically beneficial. So whether it's two, one or 10, five, I have someone right now who's kind of shifting in that realm. And so, you know, we'll plan around lifestyle stuff like birthdays or something important. And then, you know, maybe when the calories need to be a little bit higher and then we'll go back down. It's all a matter of combining sort of the psychological component of what someone can adhere to. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to add 400 calories if they're not going to actually hit it. Um, I'd rather have, you know, 250 of something that's like really, really solid. So that's why my answer is still going to be kind of, it depends. I just, I don't know that there's like one set. I don't even know if I've had the same amount of time for any person, even if you gave me a hundred people, someone might be three months, someone might be nine months, someone might be six months, someone might be eight weeks. You know, it, I, there's so many different ways that that could go. Yeah. I, I just wanted you to touch on that. Cause I think so many people have this expectation like, Oh, if I just reverse diet and I eat at maintenance for, you know, four weeks or a month or I was sorry, two months or whatever, then I'm, I'm fixed and I can go back down. And that's just not, you know, typically how it happens. So yeah, we um, all have kind of our own metabolic identity or fingerprint of sorts. And so yours is unique. It's not like, don't worry about copying anyone else's. That's why tuning in your biofeedback is so important and knowing what you actually need versus just, well, so-and-so CrossFit influenced her reverse diets for eight weeks. So I can do that. You know, part of it is we all have individual endocrine systems. We, you know, our brains are different. Our bodies are different. Our diet history is different. What your parents fed you when you were like packing your lunch for school when you were 12 was different. So we need to stop acting like we're all the same and use those common pillars and like education to make informed decisions. And sometimes, yeah, like we're talking generally, a lot of people need a reverse diet, but the length of it, how aggressive we're going with the calories, the type of training that people can do during the reverse diet, you know, that's, that's really what I'm going to look at. And I think one of the biggest things too, is making sure that 
you know, also there comes a point of diminishing returns with a reverse when we're getting closer to maintenance where I'm also going to look at things like lethargy. I'm going to look at things like blood glucose. Um, I want to make sure your training's still good and that you're not feeling sluggish or fatigued or your digestion's off because now we're eating too much food. So that's where, you know, it's important to find that middle ground. And I think, you know, if you've just been on a few diets in the past, or maybe you've recently dieted and you've kind of stalled out, a short reverse is probably going to do you some good. But for those of you out there who know that you've sort of been drilling yourself into the ground and like multiple diet attempts every year for like the last decade, that's going to require a different level of diligence, like with the reverse diet approach. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I talk to clients a lot of times, it's like, it's going to be a little frustrating because you're going to feel like you have this big focus around nutrition and you're still, you know, tracking and weighing most of your food for the most part. So we know that you're eating enough and you're not going to be seeing the results you think you should be seeing. <laughs> um, and it, you know, it's, it's really hard for a lot of people, I think, but um, hopefully this helped clear up a lot of what people wonder about when it comes to reverse dieting and what's truly going on with the metabolism, why it's necessary, why it's a necessary step for people if they want to find health again. And they do want to get to ultimately the goals that they have for themselves because, you know, we cannot just run, our bodies are phenomenal creatures. We cannot run them into the ground. They will adapt. They will figure out how to survive. And oftentimes it's at the expense of our health, um, you know, shutting down non-essential systems and stuff like that. So um, hopefully this helps people kind of accept <laughs> and understand that this is kind of a necessary part if you have a history of chronic under eating. Um, and, and, a lot of, and a lot of times, like I've used the example of we're kind of this older piece of equipment, but we're operating in 2020. Like I'm podcasting right now. I have a MacBook, but that doesn't mean that our bodies necessarily have gotten to that place. We still have this very antiquated physiology. It would be like trying to we're on a Zoom conference right now, trying to do that on a typewriter, it wouldn't happen, right? And so that's something that I think we forget too, is that our body is living in this modern world with like the current food quality that we have and the different forms of light and the workplace demands. But, you know, we're still very similarly wired to the creature that was outside most of the day and sort of had an entirely different relationship in terms of food availability amongst other things. Like your body doesn't know that there's a fridge downstairs. So if you're not feeding it, it's going to adapt accordingly based on those five F's that we talked about earlier. So like I kind of love how you outline that and some things to pay attention to for folks. But also in that case where someone's maybe, you know, it's not, they're paying a lot of attention to their nutrition, but I would encourage them to go into it with an open mind because if they think that it can work, there's a chance it might work. But if you tell yourself, oh, well, I'm not going to get leaner on this or anything like you know, it's not going to work because mentally you're not open to it. I've had women where we've reverse dieted into their wedding. Think about like the time of your life where you absolutely would want to diet the most to fit into a specific dress size. And we've reverse dieted into a wedding and lost two dress sizes because she was, she had an open mind. She reduced the intensity of exercise activity. Her inflammation dropped probably five to 10 pounds alone just from the water she was retaining from the level of stress that she was putting her body through doing orange theory workouts, you know, every single day or potentially even sometimes multiple workouts with like some group exercise thrown in. So for people who are approaching it, well, I'm putting all this energy and effort into my nutrition. Well, one, it's either going to speed up the future diet, worst case scenario, that's what happens. Best case scenario, you're one of like, the third to one half of people that hyper responds to reverse diet and you actually are seeing results with your nutrition and you get to eat more. So it's like, yep. 
you know, double whammy, but for the folks that fall on that other side, just understanding like you're creating a certain level of bandwidth to pull from, like you have room to actually diet in the future um, and, and see results in a faster uh, or at least healthier manner at the very worst. So just kind of a reminder for folks, because I like listening to that, I just want to make sure people weren't like, well, womp womp, I'm reverse dieting and <laughs> I'm paying, I'm measuring my food and I'm not going to lose weight. So I always tell that story, like if you have, if you're going into it and you have a lot of energy and you're positive and you walk and you get your sleep and you're eating, you'd be surprised what your body can do when you're really mm-hmm. encouraging it to move the right direction. But absolutely. if you're super negative about it, it may not, may not go, go that way for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's yeah. a really, really good point. Um, and a, a great place for us to kind of wrap things up. I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have a podcast right after this. Um, so thank you so much for being here and we will share this with you. I will coordinate schedules with you. So we put it up after your podcast so I can link it. Um, but yeah, just, uh, let's just leave it off with where people can find you. Cause I'm sure they're going to want to, um, listen to more of your amazing knowledge and content that you're putting out. Sure. So on all platforms, I'm just similar science. So iTunes, Spotify, if you want to grab the podcast on Instagram, I do spend a good amount of time on Instagram. That's similar science as well. And then my website is similar science.com. Um, there's a free tab. So if you want to do like the free video training, that's in there. There's a, I believe still at the bottom of the page on the website, there's a thyroid preview guide. So if you check that out, it's a little snippet, like excerpt from my ebook. Uh, and then for any coaches that are listening, I do have a free community for coaches as well. And you can also find that on the website. So make it super easy. It's just my name. And then we just added, you know, a word after it. So you can <laughs> pretty much find me wherever. And I appreciate you kind of working with the logistics of the, uh, the podcast, but it, it should have worked out anyways, but hopefully provide some context for the audience. Thank you for spending your time with us. We are honored to be able to help educate you and improve your life. If you've enjoyed this, please take a screenshot share it on Instagram and tag us at lsn.coach and leave us a five-star reading and review on iTunes as this helps us grow and reach others. So if you have any questions, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email and we will talk to you soon. Have a great day.